Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Tiffany Coker, and with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we are on a quest to learn what the Bible teaches us about theological topics that many of us Christians find challenging, confusing, and out of our reach. We're always aiming to do this in a way that applies to the lives that we lead. We do this because we agree with what the theologian R.C. Sproul once wrote. One of the most dangerous things we can do as Christians is to determine our theology by our experience, because no one's experience is normative for the Christian life. We have to determine our theology from the Word of God, not from what we feel. We want to help you be strong in our faith doctrinally, knowledgeable in and of the word theologically, and grow in your love for Jesus exponentially. Before we jump in today and kick off our Bible overview series, I want to take just a second and thank you all for leaving us ratings and reviews. One recent review comes to us from Jammin' Pam, (laughs) and I love that name. I love, love that, yeah. She wrote that the podcast, quote, does a great job of making harder topics more accessible. It's an easy way to get a little Bible teaching on the go. Jam and Pam, thanks so much for that review. That is so kind of you to say. We really are grateful for each and every rating and review because this is what helps us really get the word out to other people about Kitchen Table Theology. Yeah, we do appreciate that. And hello again, Kitchen Table Theologians. So, Tiff, before we start, I'm wondering how we did on the quiz on our last episode. I've talked to a couple of people, and they did not get 12 out of 12. One friend missed one, and another person I talked to, let's just say they missed more than one. <laughs> That's <laughs> and kind I think of even, <laughs> I think even uh I think even your mother may may have missed missed one. I think but she did said get, she did. Did, did any, has anyone written in and emailed us and let us know that they were 12 for 12? We have not gotten any emails that someone had a perfect score. I did get an email that said they missed one and were pretty proud of themselves. And we are proud of that too. I missed two, I think. So no yep. perfect scores yet. But if listeners out there, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back, take your quiz. And if you get a perfect score on this quiz, and we are trusting your honesty there, we will send you an awesome Kitchen Table Theology coffee mug slash ice cream cup. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, well done for whoever just missed one. Maybe if you missed one, we could send them half of a mug. And if they <laughs> get know. another half of a <laughs> right on the next quiz, they can have a whole mug. But okay, well, hey, well, thanks for playing the quiz. And like Tiff just said, if you haven't done it yet, go back to episode 143 and take that little quiz. And And, and if you bombed it, or if you you know you, you didn't get a perfect score, it's just a good reminder that we all can increase in our knowledge of God's word. And that's what we're here for, and that's what we love to do with you. Hey, and we want to thank again our podcast partner, Columbia International University. Today, CIU is celebrating 100 years of its mission to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. I just got an email invitation to homecoming this coming autumn of 23 it's i can't i don't even want to say this but this is the 40th reunion 
of my graduating class. That just does not even seem possible. And it's the 100th year of CIU. So uh, just love that. They consistently rank among the top regional universities in the South by U.S. News & World Report, as well as the best value regional university in the South. And you can find out everything you want to find out about them at CIU.edu. Well, today we begin a new series, which we will be in for quite some time, Lord willing. And we're going to be doing an overview of the Bible book by book. And so we'll begin at the beginning, which is always a great place to start. Always a good place to start. Yes. But I had a thought, Dad, that maybe even before we start with Genesis, would it perhaps be a good idea to share maybe a broader overview of how the entire Bible is organized before we dive into Genesis? Yeah, and you know, the Bible's organized in a certain way, and it's always helpful to get an understanding of that. And to some of you listening, it this all may be brand new for many of you, I suppose. This would be a good overview and and maybe in many cases perhaps a good reminder of when we come to the Bible, the way it is laid out, that gives us a better understanding of it overall. Exactly. And it's not too difficult to understand. So the Bible is composed of 66 books, which was on our quiz last week, I think. (laughs) It is divided into two major sections. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. So then within each of those two major sections, the books are topically arranged in order to help us as we are reading more easily understand the overall message of the Bible. So let's start with the Old Testament. How about giving us an overview of the Old Testament? The Old Testament generally is organized into five big components, and it starts with the Pentateuch, also known as the Torah. Now, the Pentateuch was one of the last episode's quiz questions, so if you haven't taken it yet, we've already given you an answer, so (laughs) that might help you. So, The Pentateuch is comprised of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. All of them were written by Moses. Then come the historical books, and they go from Joshua to Ezra. And these books deal with Israel's conquest of the Promised Land and their general failure to fulfill their covenant obligations to God. Their disobedience ultimately brings God's judgment And he disperses Israel, that happened in 721 B.C., and he allows Judah to be taken into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. That's 586 B.C. So we have the Pentateuch, or the Torah, which are those first five historical books. And anytime someone says those five books in order, my brain automatically starts singing (laughs) the song. Singing, yeah. I remember writing it down. Yeah, we, we, we had a cassette tape yes, in, right in, in our van, our minivan right that we wore the out. Van. <laughs> yes, you girls the, singing the Old Testament and the New Testament Bible books. Yes, I can still sing all of those songs. And when I have to look up something in a book that I don't reference very often, I have to sing the song to get myself to that book. So we started. I don't know if I ever shared this before, but the final question of an ordination examination that I had, and I I sat in a room with about six or seven much older seasoned pastors for four hours there, and they just peppered me with questions about everything regarding systematic theology. The last question was, 
can you tell us the books of the Bible? And I kind of laughed thinking they were kidding and they weren't kidding. <laughs> and my mind was jello by that point. And I said, I can't say them, but I can sing them <laughs> because of that same song on that cassette tape. And, and they said, okay, start singing. And again, <laughs> I thought they it. were kidding and they weren't. So I started, and they let me go probably up into the minor prophets. <laughs> and then they said, okay, that's enough. And they let me off the hook. But yes. yeah, I, I, I will never forget that. No, I'm sure there's a video similar on YouTube today. If you want to learn a song to memorize the books of the Bible, it's a yep, great yeah. way to do it. It'll stay yep. with you forever. All right, that was the Pentateuch, historical books. What comes next? Okay, after the historical books come the poetic books, and you've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Lamentations. And these books deal with a variety of issues. Psalms is a book of prayer and praise, generally, written by a few different authors. That I think people think mostly David wrote all of the Psalms. He, he wrote most of them, but he did not write all of them. Proverbs deals with how to live life skillfully, I would say, with wisdom. Job deals with the problem of pain. Ecclesiastes deals with the problem of pleasure. Song of Solomon is port- it's a portrayal of a married love with overtones of Christ and the church. There's a lot of um, illustrations of, I think, the, the love Christ has for the church and the church has for him in the Song of Solomon. Lamentations, that's a book that doesn't get a lot of publicity. But that features the prophet Jeremiah's laments over the fall of Jerusalem. And so when you understand that, Lamentations makes a whole lot more sense. The Pentateuch, then the historical books, then the poetic books. You said there were five, but that seems like a (laughs) really big chunk of the Old Testament right there. So I know there's prophetic books that we still have to discover. Is that broken up into two categories. How do we get to those five components of the Old Testament? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the prophetic books can be seen, uh, they're, they're referred to as the, the major prophets and the minor prophets, although I've never, I've never liked those terms. It, it sounds like some of the prophetic books are, are lesser than others, which of course they are definitely not. But since most recognize them comprised in that way, major and minor prophets, the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And they're called the major prophets just because the length of those books. They're rather long books with numerous chapters. Mm -hmm. So those books focus on the sins of God's people, God's judgment, uh, the future promises of the new covenant that's coming through the redemptive work of the Messiah. And then there are the minor prophets, and that's Hosea through Malachi. They, they tend to be a lot shorter, thus the minor name is given to them. And as you read through those books, you'll see the denouncement of the sins of God's people. The, and then we, we, we discover the means of God's judgments and the ultimate hope that's given, again, through prophecy regarding the, the coming and the redemptive work of the Messiah. So, yeah, it it ends with the major and and minor prophets. All right. You said these Old Testament books were organized into the five components, which we just discussed, the Pentateuch, Uh the historical books, the poetic books, and then there's major and minor prophets. I do have one question. 
just want to throw out there before we move on to the New Testament. These are not in chronological order. Is that the right word to say? The timing, it's, everything is not in order as it happened. Is that correct? We sort of, some of the books jump around and are out of order. Yeah, that's, that's correct. For example, Job, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. So if it was in chronological order, Job would be first. Okay. I always think but that's it's interesting. Not. Right. Moving on to the New Testament. Just wanted to clear that up. Is the New Testament compartmentalized in sort of a similar fashion as the Old Testament was? I, I think a little bit. The, the New Testament starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're designed to tell us about Christ's ministry. I mean, as soon as you open the New Testament, you we're, we're right into the birth of, of Christ. So we meet Christ right out of the gate. And so they're they're written to tell us about his ministry, what he did, what he taught, with a there, there's very special focus, especially in Matthew and Luke, on Christ's birth and his death. And in all of the Gospels, it's probably good if you if you ever take a, a look or when you take a look to note how much space is devoted to the last week of his life. Now, the, those four Gospels are even separated into two parts: Matthew, Mark, and Luke which share much of the same material, are referred to as the Synoptic Gospels, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, the Synoptic Gospels, because they're, they're very similar. They have a lot of the same stories. And the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John, is sort of separated from the other three. So I don't know if you've ever wondered, kitchen table theologian, have you ever wondered why four gospels and not just one or two? Or, or just one gospel. We, we could have fit it all in, into one, but we get four. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons for this. One is the Old Testament law required two or three witnesses to establish a fact. And so I, I think when we get four, then that that's even as a corollary, it's meeting a requirement of the law to establish a fact by, by giving four eyewitness accounts. And each writer is a different audience with different perspectives that require a unique emphasis. So, for example, in Matthew, he's writing as a Jew to Jews. And once you understand that, that's you'll see a lot of referencing the Old Testament. And then you go, oh, okay, well, that's why. The Gospel of Mark, he's writing to more action-minded Romans. And something that's very interesting, and I think many people may not know this, the Gospel of Mark could be called the Gospel of Peter, because I, I think what we're getting in Mark, we're getting an eyewitness account of Peter. Mark was the scribe. Mark was the one who wrote what Peter told him to wrote, to, told him to wrote, told him That's to write. Good. And maybe when we get to the book of Mark in a few months, we'll we'll dive into that a little bit. That he he was Peter's scribe. The Gospel of Luke and Luke's writing to Gentiles and John. John just gives us this beautiful theological portrait of Christ, and all four of them witness to the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. I do find it fascinating that each gospel writer wrote to a different audience, but they're all telling the same story. They all mesh together so well, seamlessly even, but they also show each of their individual personalities. You can see 
how each one, you know, picks a different parable to share or just their different take on the story. You can really tell that it was four different authors, but again, all telling the same story and portraying the life of Christ. Love that. What's next? You know, I might just interject here. It's it's really good kitchen table theologian. If you've never seen this before, there's a there's books out that are most often referred to as a harmony of the gospels. Harmony of the Gospels. And if you just Google that, you'll see a bunch of books pop up. And what, what the, the way they're generally w- laid out is when you open the book, each page will have four columns, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they'll lay each gospel beside each other. And it's a very fascinating way to read the, the New Testament Gospels. Now, a lot of them, they're, they're lined up according to Scripture, and so, you know, Luke 2 might have what John 3 has, but they'll be side by side, and you can see them together. And sometimes you'll find it the way they're laid out. It will be in chronological order as well as the, as events happen. But th- that's a fascinating book, and I, I really think every Christian ought to have a harmony of the Gospels on their bookshelf. I find myself turning to them often, especially during um, if you, you want to get a really great overview of Holy Week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday is take a look at the Harmony of the Gospels, and you get every every detail, and you can read it through as as all four writers are portraying it to us. It's, it's really a, a, a good tool to have a Harmony of the Gospels. I might have to order one of those for myself and read it at this Holy Week. That would be very interesting to see it all laid out like that. I don't think I've ever seen that. Okay, take us through what is next after the gospel. Yep. So after the gospels, you have the Acts of the Apostles, and Luke wrote this book as a sequel to his gospel, and he writes it to a man called Theophilus, and it's what a, what a great historical book of the birth of the church. So you know, perhaps we think of Luke as the writer of two volumes: Volume One and Volume Two. Volume One being his gospel, and Volume Two being the book. Of Acts. And it's a missionary history as it follows the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. And then we get into what are known as the epistles or letters. And no, the epistles were not the wives of the apostles. That was good. <laughs> I needed I needed it. That's just terrible as an old joke. So you get into the epistles, which are letters, and those include the letters of Paul, Peter, John, James, Jude. And the writer of Hebrews, and most of these letters were written to churches, but some were written to individuals. Now, I think I remember Paul wrote the majority of these epistles. Is that right? Yeah, Paul wrote 13 of them, and they're referred to as the Pauline epistles. So Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, when Paul was not imprisoned, he did a lot of writing while he was held in prison by Rome. So those are referred to as the prison epistles. So you've got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and First and Second Thessalonians. That is a lot of books of the New Testament. So would it be safe to say that Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament? In books and epistles, whatever we want to call them, yes. He he wrote the 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 most most of the uh, in, in number, he did. In volume, he did not. Luke wrote about 28% of the New Testament just in the Gospel of Luke and Acts. 
Paul was next, followed very closely by John. So in terms of the number of letters and things that he wrote, yes. In terms of overall volume, no, that would have been Luke. So his letters were a little bit shorter. All right, let's stay with Paul for a second. He wrote these letters to individuals. I know you mentioned that several of his letters were written to the church in a search in mm-hmm. a certain city, but there also were letters to individuals. Right. He wrote to church leaders. So he wrote first and second Timothy to Timothy, who was a brand new younger pastor in the city of Ephesus. So here, Timothy, here's how to find elders. Here's what you ought to be teaching and so forth. And he, he did very similar to in Titus. So it, he's writing about matters of to, to new churches and the Christian life and how we're to live the Christian life. Interesting. We have the Gospels, how the New Testament started, the historical book of Acts, all of the Pauline epistles. What else is left in the New Testament before we get to Revelation? <laughs> well, there's letters from other writers. Hebrews with its unknown author. James, the half-brother of Jesus, teaching about God's purposes and trials. You've got first and second Peter, first, second, third John, and Jude. The fact that we don't know who wrote Hebrews, is that a big deal? Yeah, perhaps we'll get into this a little more when we get to that book, Lord willing. But, you know, for m- many people have thought for many, many years that Paul wrote Hebrews. However, the author never identifies himself as Paul, and likewise, the author does not count themselves as an eyewitness to Jesus as Paul did. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 2.3, the author says, first of all, it was delivered in person, and he's talking about the gospel message, by the master, Jesus, then accurately passed on to us by those who heard it from him. So the author of Hebrews received the gospel from someone else who had received it firsthand. Now in Galatians 1, Paul makes it very clear he received the gospel directly from Jesus. So someone other than Paul must have written Hebrews, but that person, they don't identify themselves. So to your question, does it matter if we know who the author is or not? I, I don't really think so, because the content is clearly consistent with the rest of the New Testament teaching. So in this case, identifying the human author, I, I don't think it's it's critical. Okay. That leaves us with Revelation. Yeah, and what a, what a book that is. Revelation's written by the Apostle John, and it deals primarily with the second coming, the tribulation, the millennial reign of Christ. We covered all of that, I think, in about 12 episodes of our podcast. And, right. and, and it's all about the final act in God's unfolding drama of redemption. It's an incredible book. 22 chapters, Revelation is. Can't wait till we get to Revelation, but that could be a few months away. So we've got to yes, time I to would prepare. Think so. <laughs> It'll be a while before we get back to that. All right. We have, that is a very helpful overview of the Bible and how it's laid out for us. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And just to recap really quickly here. The Old Testament was made up of the Pentateuch, the historical books, poetic books, the major prophets, and the minor prophets. And then the New Testament, which is comprised of the Gospels, the historical book of Acts, the all those epistles, which we talked about, Paul wrote the majority of those, and then the book of Revelation. All right, I really hate to say this, but I think we're out of time for today's podcast. <laughs> so before we go, why don't you just give us a quick idea of what we're going to look at 
in our next episode when we actually dive into the book of Genesis. Yeah, sorry about that. We didn't actually make it into Genesis, but I, th- I think the overview is, is good. It sort of gives us a conceptual foundation for how the Bible's laid out. And and I promise, Lord willing, I promise next episode we'll look at three aspects of this incredible book of Genesis. And, and first we'll learn Genesis was written to trace the history of a unique family line. Second, We'll see that God established an eternal covenant with Abram, who became Abraham, making him the father of many nations. And then lastly, we'll see that a theme of blessing is passed down through that unique family line, which leads to the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. All that in the very first book of the Bible of Genesis. I'm looking forward to it. I know there's something that I'm going to learn. I love the book of Genesis, but can't wait to hear about that next week. Thanks so much again listen, for listening today, Kitchen Table Theologians. Again, take a minute, if you would, to rate and review the podcast, specifically on Spotify or iTunes, if that's where you listen. This really helps new listeners find the show, and we just want to spread the Kitchen Table Theology love. Don't forget, check out today's episode notes as well. As always, thanks are due to our friends at Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton, South Carolina, for making the podcast possible. And also don't forget, if you desire to go deeper and to begin or even further your education, be sure to check out our partner, Columbia International University. Everything you need to know about them at ciu.edu. You can also head over to jeffcranston.com. There's more information about Dr. Cranston, a.k.a. Dad, his books, sermons, (laughs) leadership notes, blog posts. And then, Lord willing, next week, we will be back with another episode, and we really promise this time to begin our Bible overview with the book of Genesis. There it is. Now go deeper. And until next time, Kitchen Table Theologian, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.